This is The Varsity, a sports podcast from The Record North Shore, your nonprofit local news site. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute, with more than 150 fellowship-trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs. IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com. Howdy folks and welcome to the latest episode of the Varsity Podcast, a podcast where we discuss everything involving North Shore High School sports. I'm Michael Duojic here with the Record North Shore founding member Joe Coughlin as we set you up on a big week of sports here. We've got some start of the postseason here in the fall. We got some golf regionals going on. We also got some other um, sports winding down as well. So we are heading into that time as uh, quickly as you might think it is, it's already turning into October. So um, really deep into football season, all the other seasons as well. So we're going to do our usual four-quarter format, where in the first quarter we recap uh, Loyola win and a nutrient football loss. In the second quarter, we are joined by um, Loyola Academy student, football coach, whatever you want to call him, former football player James Kyle. Uh, Joe caught up with him to talk about his uh, – journey with football and what it's been like and uh, what is uh, on the way. In the third quarter, we'll play our weekly guessing game of way or no way. And then in the fourth quarter, we will preview some football and talk some other sports as well. But before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that they're available. Make sure you give us a nice little note, subscribe or review, whatever you got to do, spread the word about both the Varsity podcast and about the record North Shore. All right, why don't we start things off here with uh, Loyola football, where uh, a much closer win uh, than we were expecting when we were talking about uh, Loyola and Fenwick last week. Um, Loyola able to uh, stay undefeated thanks to a sophomore kicker in Michael Baker, who made the game-winning field goal to help Loyola run away with a 27-24 win at Fenwick in Trident College. Um, Joe, obviously, uh, Loyola was um, commanding for the first three quarters and Fenway came back in the first quarter to tie it up before um, Loyola used the last five minutes of the game to uh, put um, Michael Baker in the game winning position, but um, a much closer game than we expected. And uh, I don't really know um, how concerning are you about that fourth quarter um, or is that just what's going to happen when you have two Division One prospects uh, playing on Fenway's offense? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little conflicted uh, about the game, Michael, to be honest. You know, I was there, and I think I thought <laughs> – or, or Loyola was just as close to a three-touchdown win as it was to a loss, which is so weird to me because uh, they really had the ball in deep in enemy territory a multitude of times and just mistake after mistake – uh, kept happening. And then the fourth quarter with the two big scores from Fenwick were kind of uh, uh, unusual plays. One was a wide receiver screen pass and the other, which by the way, the wide receiver after throwing the ball got smacked um, by the loyal guy. So really just a game of inches. And the other one was a broken play. The quarterback, very talented, scrambled, and was on one side of the field through all the way back to the middle of the field 
uh, to a wide open guy in a broken play. So uh, very strange stuff, but you know, Loyola did not execute in spots. And I think there's your concern is when you have the game to put away or uh, whether it's on offense or defense, not executing. And I'm sure that's, it's been a rough week of practice if I would have to guess for Loyola Academy. So yeah, I'm concerned with that because I think if you don't hit that point again in the regular season, which you might against Marist and you might against um, Mount Carmel, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit too, but um, you're going to win the playoffs at some point and you're going to have to execute. So that's a concern without Marco being able to uh, find pay dirt. Um, just so Loyola was up. I'm going to go on for a while about this because it was so confusing to me. They were up 24, 10 <laughs> after the, after the pick six by um, Holden Quinn, 24, 10, they got the ball back off the pick from James Cruz. And then they had the ball at the one yard line. That's putting the game away. 31, 10 late in third. It's going to be over. They fumbled on the one yard line. So there's that in the first half, they had the ball in, in enemy territory. They were turnover on downs within the five. And after an, uh, another turnover, they were turned over on downs inside the 15. Also in the second half, they turned it over on downs within the five. So we're talking about like four possessions with points left on the board, like that they normally punch in the end zone, not alone the field goal. So um, I think, I really do think they dominated the game, but didn't execute and Fenwick's a good enough team to take advantage. So what do you what is the reasoning behind not being able to capitalize? I mean, obviously we talked last week, Marco Maldonado um, out for the season, maybe question mark based on Coach Hollis' comments with Neil in the story. Um, but Mike Regan came in, rushed 32 times for 172 yards. Um, Sterney was also uh, able to move the ball around as a quarterback, but both in the air and on the ground. But what uh, what was the reasoning behind why Loyola really wasn't able to capitalize in those key moments? I think a couple of things, I think just um, the propensity to find the end zone that Maldonado has, whether it's from 65 yards or six yards. I mean, he just, he just knows when it's time to get it in there. And, and not that, not that Mike Regan doesn't, but he, I don't think he has that last burst that Mark has. So I don't think Mike Regan's going to be upset with saying he's not quite up to Maldonado's speed and burst. He, I mean, he still gained 172 yards on eight yard, 10 yard chunks all the time. So it was a great day for him. Um, but I think we would have seen Maldonado put some in the end zone and loosen some things up. I also think that the wind played a factor and not making excuses because I'm sure Jake Sterney would tell you the quarterback, he should have made better throws and maybe the receivers better routes, but a lot of the Aaron passes seemed to, you know, go wide or when they were with the wind, he had too much on it and the wind just took it away, took it up or took it out. And uh, they didn't complete a lot of passes on third downs, put them in, put them in tough spots, deeper third downs and deeper fourth downs instead of those usual fourth and one where we see Maldonado or Sterney run for touchdowns. So um, I think those are a couple of the reasons they didn't execute. And then when you're up, when you feel like you've been dominating, you might get a little lax. I think that might be what happened on defense after they had three interceptions and four passes. You know, they might have started to feel a little bit like, okay, we got these guys. And then a couple, next thing you know, a couple broken plays, maybe, you know, one or two people are a little slow on assignments and that's a wide open guy. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, a confluence of factors um, did it and, and they all, you know, you can, you can say Loyola um, just didn't put it together when they needed to. 
So we're talking about life without Maldonado. Obviously, Regan was able to keep, pick it up, but um, also he got injured in uh, play there, kind of required him to be helped off the field with a right knee. And um, obviously, we're not sure whether he'll be able to play Saturday against uh, Marist. But how 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 much does this Loyola depth go in the running back position? Where if you're having a run with your third stringer at this point, I mean. Obviously, the you have to think about Jake Sterney a little bit more, just what he's able to do and what he's able to run and play. But um, how concerning is it if Loyola has to go to their third running back? And um, obviously, a very strong uh, offensive line. But just how concerning is it if you do need to go to a third string uh, running back? I mean, I think it's concerning because uh, you're losing leaders like Maldonado and Regan, who's also a leader and a good tailback. You know, um, I think that's the biggest concern. If you ask me, I do think their their running back um, depth goes deep, and I think they'll be okay. Um, we saw one, only one series with uh, maybe it's two with um, I can't even think of his name. They got a couple other running backs in Jared or Otorola, and I want to say his name's Cannon, but I can't find him on the roster. Um, he was wearing number 30, I believe. Anyway, he had a few really nice runs uh, and I'm really sorry. I can't uh, pull up his name right now, but um, so I think with that offensive line, that's still relatively healthy. I know they do have one injury, but, and um, you know, the tight end relatively healthy. Uh, I think they should be okay in opening those holes and they have the talent to get yardage. So um, I do think they'll be okay there and picking up yardage, but we need to see more, more of that passing game come back um, to, to mix things up. And that'll open things up for the running game and for Sterney um, to run. So um, always an issue with depth, but I do think they got some next men up who, who can take, take care of it. Well, let's talk about Sterney. I mean, what have you seen from him this year? Are you confident in what you've been able to see both running and passing wise that he'll be able to continue to lead this loyal offense without maybe a dominant back as he did for the first few uh, games of the season. I mean, just what have we learned about the Loyola quarterback and how much, um, how do you feel like he'll be able to perform against, like you mentioned, playing a team like Marist, Mount Carmel, and then obviously uh, when Loyola moves on in the playoffs? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident in Sterney. I think I've learned that he can play, he can start at this level. And when I say this level, I don't mean varsity high school. I mean, varsity high school for the number one team in the state for a Catholic league, uh, power that's going to face other Catholic League powers and a lot of pressure. Um, I think he's up to the task. I've seen him make throws specifically in the Rochester game. Um, and then um, in the, the um, even the brother rice game um, that was mostly a Maldonado show. He made big throws as well, including a huge um, score to, uh, to Danny Collins that, that were, that were big and, and a lot of first downs too. So, um, I think he's ready for this stage. Um, you're not having a dominant running back might put a little more pressure on him to get the ball out quicker. He might need to adjust, but I, I am, I have seen him make throws all the throws that he needs to, to succeed here. It'll obviously be a big uh, point of interest when we talk about Loyola's game against Maris this upcoming Saturday, but we'll save that for the fourth quarter. And now we'll move on over to talk a little bit about new Trier football where um, we talked about this game being a little bit interesting, major concern being obviously the new tier defense being young and um, inexperienced with some key injuries there. And um, the defense was exactly what happened at the beginning, just the 
Um, Evanson from the get-go was able to uh, run after the Trevians and Nutria lost 38 to 24. Um, Joe, just obviously a game that uh, Nutria really needed for obviously its playoff chances and um, it's uh, what it wants to accomplish as it moves and stirs into the conference season, but um, a 38 to 24 loss and um, a lot of questions when it comes to the defense after this tough loss. Yeah, I think the questions were there and Evanston was the right team to expose them on a bigger stage because this is the first time, I think, in a decade that Evanston's beaten Nutrier football. First time in Dole's tenure, um, Coach Dole's tenure at Nutrier. So it, it's a rivalry. It's huge for the community. It's huge, obviously, for the kids involved. So um, on this stage, now that we saw that defense um, exposed even more than we already knew because we watched Barrington and we watched Conant, um, I think that's that's going to prompt some some drastic changes from from Dole. I don't know what that is. I mean, you only have your roster is what it is at this point, and at, at game five or six, you should know what you have. And I think he does. So I think, in a lot of respects, Nutria is probably stuck with it. And playing against these high powered opponents, big kids that are going to run the ball on them, they they don't have. The, I don't think they have the, the personnel and the and the group to uh, to be elite to be a really good defense um you know we'll see if some changes in a week of practice and a week of probably difficult practice uh, makes a difference um against gbn um they should be uh in a good position to win this one on homecoming night but it's going to be tough the rest of the way for them um you know with evanston uh well we were dead wrong because <laughs> everything we heard and uh the birds chirping in my ear were telling me that you know, a lot of their best players were out and not only were they out, they were not playing. It wasn't that they were injured. They were choosing not to play, but that didn't seem to be the case at all. Cause Sebastian cheeks absolutely dominated uh, right. the game on both sides of the football. Um, and he's going to do so um, <laughs> the rest of the year, it appears. So um, that's awesome. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad he, I'm glad he, whether he was injured or whatever, I'm glad he's back. I'm glad if they had other players, they're back. Um, Cause uh, I think that's a great squad and they're going to do some, some good things down the stretch here. Um, like take care of Nutria in dominating fashion. So Nutria's got issues, and they gotta they gotta figure out a way to uh, plug the holes at least a little bit um, to to get you know a fifth and sixth win. Yeah, Sheik scored uh, his first of two touchdowns with a forty nine uh, yard run. Um, I mean, obviously, we I don't know how much Nutria was prepared for Cheeks playing or anything like that, but. Um, how uh, I feel like it's tough for a defense like that and experience to play against probably, I mean, obviously a division one ACC uh, prospect, but what does the, what does the defense do? Um, how do you really improve it? I mean, obviously you, if you had the golden answer, you'd be a coach on Nutri's coaching staff <laughs> right now, but I mean, just what, what can Nutrier do as it tries to, you know, duct tape its defense together right now? Man, you know, I don't know. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't at the Evanston game. Um, you know, the last one I saw was um, Barrington and, you know, the thing that stuck out to me, they have some, some athletic talent on that defensive side of the ball. Some top-notch athletes who can play at this level and can do special things um, in the right spots. And, and if they're, you know, all their, all the things are crossed, they got the tools, but they're not doing it. So that means they're either not in the right spots or they're bad at, at, at one technique, maybe it's tackling. I, I, I have seen a lot of missed tackles at that second level. Um, um, just not, 
not bringing guys down. I mean, just not, you know, a lot of touches, nothing, nothing uh, enough to bring people down. You got to do that against, especially against a guy like Cheeks. I don't know how, I mean, that guy's an absolute beast. So, um, but I just think they're just not, they're not a unit. They're not, they're not strong enough playing together and tackling together to make it happen right now. So what do they exactly have to do? I think that might be beyond my, beyond my scope, but um, it sure seems like work together and tackle, 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 make technique, which I don't know if you can teach at this point. It's tough because obviously the Nutra often seems to be, it knows what it's doing. I mean, it scored 17 points and racked up 225 yards of offense in the second half, but Wildcats held 14 points of their own to keep the Trevians outside of striking distance. I mean, the offense is there. Um, and that's obviously seems to be one of the bright spots uh, for a new trier. I mean, is there a way for new trier's offense where it can do even more and maybe just pick up the slack where the defense isn't able to do? I mean, or is that too tough against a team that very talented, like like a Glenbrook South and maybe even a Maine South uh, toward the end of the season? Yeah, I don't know if you want to. I don't. I don't know if you can ask them to do more than what they've done. Um, I, you know, they don't turn the ball over much. They don't you know, they have drives that are pretty long. Uh, maybe they don't eat up enough clock. You know, if they had a more potent running game, it's been fine. All three of their guys can run in, in if we're talking about the quarterback, Kremiscoli and both their running backs, um, they can run, but they like to pass too. I mean, Nevins, I think he's had close to 300 yards in two games, um, two straight games. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you can ask them to do too much more than they are. They're scoring the football maybe more early. Um, but I, that's that's just picking nits at this point. All right. Well, we'll preview their homecoming game against GBN in the fourth quarter. But let's move on over now to the second quarter, where we are joined by a Loyola Academy student, James Kyle. Coach James Kyle. Um, I'm sure a lot of you know James was a big prospect um, in the area. Obviously, a football player for Loyola, and then. Um, he had to uh, cut his uh, football career short because of some health issues. So uh, I know, obviously, um, Joe, you've been wanting to talk to him for a little bit. And obviously, it's taken some time for uh, James to, you know, process everything and uh, be willing to talk. But uh, we're going to hear a little bit from James here in the second quarter. And, uh, what are the folks at home going to hear from James? Yeah, they're just going to kind of hear J James's story is very compelling in that he was uh, in a very exciting time of his life being um, courted by colleges throughout the country and more were going to come. He was only um, beginning of his junior year, um, sophomore beginning of his junior year. And then um, the medical condition, which is blood clots, um, unprovoked as they call them, they couldn't find out what the cause was. So erring on the side of caution necessarily, uh, they, they, they told me I had to stop playing football and be on blood blood thinners, but you can't play football and blood thinners for obvious reasons. So um, now there's a program, um, a treatment that could work. So he's looking into that. We just talked about what it's like, you know, going from those highs to those lows and uh, being on this roller coaster of emotion and trying to figure it out, watching your team go to five and own all that stuff. So that's what you'll hear from James. All right, let's take a listen. And when did you decide, or, you know, you obviously with I'm sure medical advice that, you know, playing football at that time wasn't, uh, you couldn't do it. Yeah. So when I was a sophomore, I went to the hospital and found out. And then 
They told me I had to be on blood thinners for a year. And then we weren't playing in the fall because of COVID for my junior season. So I was on blood thinners and they were like, since they don't know what happened, I'd get off it in a year. So I'd be able to go back and play. Uh-huh. So I got off it in around like Thanksgiving time of my junior uh, junior year. And then, unfortunately, like another small clock came back in January. So then they were like, okay, like they, they didn't know if it was like still from the other two clots, like the first one. So they had no idea. So they were like, all right, you can be on blood thinners and still play football, and, but just wait until like a week before the spring season. And then you can get off blood thinners and you can play. So I did. And then. Fortunately, in the second game, I fractured my elbow, and then I played on it in the third game, and then after the third game, my elbow was, like, just so swollen, and just, like, like more swollen than usual, like, that normal people, like, it wouldn't happen, and then we went to the doctor, our team doctor, and she, like, reviewed all my stuff, and she said that I couldn't play anymore, and that I had to be on blood thinners for life. So did the did the fracture and the swelling have something to do with the other, the, the blood clots? I mean, they don't know, but they just, like, they couldn't risk it anymore. They just didn't want to risk anything bad happening. Like, because to play in the junior season, our doctor said that, it, like, I shouldn't play. Like, it's not smart, but it was, like, my parents and my choice, and I wanted to play college football, so I was just like, I want to play. So I went up and played, and then once the elbow thing happened, they were like, yeah, you can't play anymore. Wow. And when I mean, when you heard that from your team doc, uh, what, what was going through your mind? Uh, I mean, I was just really sad. just sucks because just like your dreams of playing college football and maybe the next level just crushed right in front of you. It was a rough, rough day. Okay. Um, so today, um, you're in your senior year, obviously. Um, I see on the sidelines there, but so what's going on with your with your health right now? Uh, well, I'm still on blood thinners right now. And, uh, I mean, as of now, I'm on blood thinners for the rest of my life. Nothing I can really do about it, so I can't play. Um, are you still? I thought someone told me. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you're still kind of looking for uh, a college for football, just in case, or is that not true? Uh, well, there's this player in the NFL, Trey Smith, who plays he played three years at Tennessee and now he's in the NFL on blood thinners he's a rookie this year on the Chiefs and we we got a hold of him and we're just like we got a hold of his doctor too so we're talking to him like right now and he has like a method where kids can play football on blood thinners so if we get like everything down and like have like a plan I mean I'm gonna reach out to all the schools that offer me and see if they would let me walk on or something, but it's a huge risk for colleges, so I really don't know if it'll work out. Do you have any details about what that method might be? 
Uh, so it's basically I get the levels tested with my blood thinners to see like when the blood thinners get out of my system. So like before practice, if say the blood thinners takes 12 hours to get out of my system, I'd take like the pill 13 hours before practice. So then once we go to practice, I'm fine. It's out of my system. And then before games, I would do the same thing. But then after the game, I would have to go like immediately get like this head scan, which is called like a brain scope to see if there's any bleeding in my brain. And if that's all clear, and I wait a day, and then on Sunday, I go into the team doctor, and I they look and see if, like, I'm sore, or if there's any bruises, and if there are bruises, if there are any, like, bad spots. And if they're not, then I just restart my cycle with the blood thinners. And is that something, you know, hearing that, listening to it, obviously it's pretty daunting, I'm sure, but something you're willing to do? Uh, I mean, yeah, because the guy in Tennessee was an old lineman, so get, get hits, he gets hit every play. So if it worked for him, I think it would work for me. <clears throat> so like I said, I see it. I know you're on the sidelines um, with your guys every game um taking in um helping lead the team out there talk about what your thoughts are watching watching everybody uh playing i mean it's it sucks obviously i'd like to be out there but uh right now i'm just coaching the tight ends because we really with me gone we have two junior tight ends and i mean i just help them out during the games and i know that like it's been a while, so can't really do anything about not playing. So, I mean, it sucks, but it's fun to be out there at least. Thanks so much, James, for joining us. And thank you, as always, to all the players and coaches who join us every single week. If you want to read more about James' story, make sure you go to therecordnorthshore.org and check out Joe's uh, story with James. All right, we're halfway through the podcast. So let's give a quick thanks to our sponsor, the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. They have many locations in the Chicago area, so make sure you check them out. Move better and live better. All right, third quarter, we've got Way or No Way, our weekly guessing game where Joe and I debate about whether something can happen and whether something cannot happen. I'm going to present five different things. So the New Jersey Boys soccer team won the CSL South on Tuesday night after a win and after an Evanston loss to GBN, which gave New Trier sole possession of first place. So with that, Joe, obviously we've talked about them winning sectional and uh, obviously the tough road that they have, but way or no way that the road for a sectional championship is not as hard as we thought for the new boys soccer team. Oh, I will say no way. I think it's going to be pretty hard. Um, I know that they got into uh, first place in the conference, but uh, those teams are still there and they're still dangerous. It's not that they um, are slumping. I think it's that they played each other and beat each other up. So, um, you know, that can happen. You know, sometimes it's kind of the same theory as why, you know, sometimes Big Ten basketball teams have, you know, 10 losses because they just beat each other up. They're all very good. Um, so I think that's happening a little bit. Each team kind of taking each other out. And now, you know, Loyola is still lingering and is still a very good team. Uh, but Nutrier's hot too. You know, they put up four on Maine South. 
Uh, hat trick, Matthew Perchick, their forward is, is in a good spot right now, a good space for them um, finding the back of the net. So um, Nutria, I think, might be the most dangerous, but they're not the only dangerous. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. No way as well. I think this, uh, obviously, Nutria has a very good chance of winning the sectional championship. I just don't think um, that um, it'll be as easy or just because that they won the conference championship that uh, um, it's going to be uh, not that hard of a challenge. It'll definitely be quite the challenge, um, especially in that sectional that they're in. All right, the Loyola Academy girls volleyball team lost to Mother McCauley on Tuesday night. Uh, so way or no way that Loyola girls volleyball might not win that, their conference with that loss to Mother McCauley. Yeah, they might not. Uh, McCauley um, is obviously a power in the state over the years. And, um, but that, what a, what a match, um, just looking at the scores and some of the stats. I wish I was uh, there, could watch that one, because um, what a doozy. I think it was, it went in uh, extra points in two of the three sets and one went to 30. Um, so pretty good stuff. And, um, so you could kind of say, you know, in those matches, it seems like they're pretty unequal footing or close to it. Um, Macaulay and and Loyola. So it's going to be a run. I will say, um, well, I I don't remember the phrase in the question, but I'll say, you know, you know, way that, that they might not win conference. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you there. I think uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they won't win it, but I do agree that uh, it might not be as easy as we thought it. And that obviously tough loss to Mother Macaulay, one of the other top teams in the state. Um, obviously a tough challenge and that'll prepare them for the playoffs. But when it comes to winning conference, that loss um, might sting a little bit. All right. The Nutria Girls Volleyball team is off to a strong start in conference. Where no way that the Nutria Girls Volleyball team has anything to worry about when it comes to winning the CSL South. <laughs> anything to worry about. Uh, sure, yeah, I worry about a lot. Injuries, uh, other teams, other teams' injuries. Um, but, you know, I know what you're saying, and I I still think, you know, no way. They still, they still have things to worry about. These are still schools of similar size with similar talents, and Nutria might be at their, on their best day the best team, but Nutria can have a bad day. So, um, you know, they're young enough that they could have multiple bad days or a multiple or a bad stretch. So still got still got a couple weeks left in the season before before we get to playoff time. So I think uh, they do have something to worry about, but um, they're in a good spot. All right. Yeah, I think I'll agree with you there again. Uh, yeah, I think uh, my and I think there's obviously always something to worry about. And uh, when it comes to an in-conference crowd, you can lose the GBS or another team and I don't think it'll be a, a walk in the park but um, it will be a little bit of a challenge but um, I do would say that they are probably the favorites when it comes to winning that CSO South division title and they, they right. did lose they did lose this week to Niles West in two right all right uh, the new trio girls golf team will be competing at regionals in the coming days way or no way pretty simple that the new Jersey girls golf team won't win its regional title. You, you put these negatives on me and it makes me think of how it's yeah. I will say no way they won't win. So they will win. I, I yes. just, think you know, they're, they're too good. I believe the weather's going to be perfectly fine tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, sometimes some rain or some inclement stuff will even the playing field a bit, but uh, I don't think they have, um, I think they're fine. I think they'll, they should take it, um, barring a pretty rough day on the course. But I, um, 
I, I have a lot of confidence in that team. That team's very, very talented. Yeah, I, I, again, I agree. I feel like these questions could have been better just based on the disagreement and the kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I agree. I think this team is going to probably win there pretty handily yeah, unless something happens or they lose one of their players. I think that they um, will win that regional title. So no way um, that the girls won't win a regional title. And we also got boys golf happening. So way or no way, Joe, that the Loyola boys golf team in the same regional as Nutrier and GBN can win that regional. Well, I can tell you right now, I was actually out there this morning. I just wanted to grab a couple of photos. They were, they were playing this morning at Sportsman's, and I think girls are tomorrow. Well, it's not Sportsman's anymore. Heritage Oaks. Heritage Oaks. Yes. Um, and I think the girls are tomorrow morning. So um, I think Nutria's got a good beat on it. I, be, I, I don't know if GBN's in the regional, actually. I saw GBS oh. there, and I saw someone else. I don't know. But if GBN, it's a race between those two teams. Either way, they're both going to qualify, um, barring something spectac unspectacular happening for them. Um, but they're going to uh, do good. So I don't, I don't think uh, – I'm not concerned about the boys in the regional as well. Sectionals um, will have a money sectional next week. Yeah, I think uh, those are probably the teams to beat in that sectional and in that regional. So I'm going to say uh, no way Loyola Boys Golf cannot win that regional. So – Agreed on everything. We'll work on it moving down, but let's go on over now. To well, we will say if, if, we're, if we're talking about Loyola, Ryan Banis could be the um, individual champ of the regional. He's he's among the best in the in the area. Yeah, it's definitely a, a good qualifier, especially for sectional and for state. All right, we're going to move on over now to the fourth quarter where we're just going to start the fourth quarter off by talking about some other sports before we head into our football matchups of week six. Wow, we've already... We're at week six, that's pretty crazy. Um, so why don't we start off? You I know you covered tennis uh, over the past week, Joe. I know you're out there to watch Nutrier sweep GBS. Um, does the Nutrier team just look exactly as what we've been talking about all uh, fall? Yeah, I mean they're they're really good. Their top, you know, their their state lineup, you know, their top four, uh, six. I'm sorry, their top six. Those are doubles teams. Um, their top six are just really good. They're still working at what's going to be their state lineup between their doubles teams, but their top singles are set up with Maddie, um, Madison Liu and Julie Ross. So, uh, and they're both excellent. Um, talked to Madison um, on the day and she, she took care of business pretty quickly. I think 6061 against GBS. She's only lost a couple times, once out of state, once to Lake Forest's um, Rabbit John's, um, Rabbit John's little sister. Um, so, um, it's going to be, you know, she, Madison's going to be up there top four, probably, um, ranked once it gets to the, to the state uh, tournament. Um, Julie Ross is probably going to be up there too. And their doubles teams, however they do it, are going to be up there. So, I mean, they're going to advance everybody. They're that good. Um, it was a really fun matchup at that particular meet with GBS at the first doubles because both teams had two freshmen on board um, competing and it was a, a marathon event um, won by Nutrier at the end um, three set match um, Nutrier kind of um, strategically delayed it with a lot of lobbing deep and things like that to kind of take away the potent net play of GBS um, and it was fun it was long but it was fun um, to see them come out exhausted and winners um, on both sides actually um, just a great match so Nutria just figure out their lineup, but they'll be fine. I think, you know, a 
coach said they're a top three to top four team. I think they're probably right there at three, maybe even two if things go their way um, at state tournament. Yeah, definitely a fun team to watch, and we'll definitely keep an eye on what they're able to do uh, moving forward. And I know we touched on it a little bit about in the third quarter, but uh, Loyola girls volleyball that lost to Macaulay, obviously a very tough matchup between the two teams. Um, I mean, you've shared your thoughts about um, winning conference and that sort of stuff, but is this just a loss against a very tough team or um, is this something that we need to look deeper into? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to look at, at, you know, any other similar opponents to see just how good Macaulay's looking, but you know, if history says anything, Macaulay's just a really potent program and they always have been, well, they have been for, yeah, for always a really long time, actually. So I think it's just two powers going at it and uh, conference play too. So a lot of fun involved. And I, I think Loyola will still be there. It just uh, depends on how, if you ask me, how good New Trier is playing in that postseason round that that week. So, um, yeah, I got no – Loyola is still – I haven't lost any confidence. They're still right up there. All right. All right, let's start our football previews then. Let's start off with New Trier hosting GBN on Friday night for homecoming week. Um, GBN um, has uh, fared some of its battles uh, so far this year. Um, what are you expecting out of this matchup uh, between the two teams um, heading into Friday? Well, I mean, I think I'm expecting a pretty energized Nutria crew on homecoming night, at, uh, obviously at home because of that, with a big crowd. And I think that could give their defense a little extra jolt. GBN does not have a dynamic offense. Um, it's not going to light up the scoreboard like a team like Evanston or, or Conan can do to you. So um, I think that gives them a little breathing room, a little more margin for error, and hopefully they figured some things out and they'll take care of it on offense. Um, I think they'll be fine. I think they've integrated Alex Mendez nice. He had a big game, um, giving them another weapon and another option for uh, Kremskoli, and that's, uh, that's dangerous. So I think – I think they should come away with one here and get that fourth win, um, all important fourth win, and um, kind of put all the pressure on their next few weeks. Yeah, it's been a tough stretch for uh, GBN the last two games. They've lost 42 to nothing against Hersey two weeks ago, and then they lost to Maine South 41 to nothing over the past week. So, shout out two straight weeks. Um, they uh, scored 26 points against Taft to open the season. Scored 48 points in a 48 to nine win against Wheeling and then scored six points in a loss to St. Patrick. So um, they either score a lot of points or they don't score any points at all. Um, it seems to be for the GBN uh, offense. So, I mean, how, I, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but is this exactly what that neutral defense needs just to face off against maybe not a, not a dynamic offense where um, they can figure some things out and see, uh, work some stuff out? Yeah. And, and, and I know they'd like to turn the ball over. I know that obviously that's a huge momentum swing and it's going to boost your confidence. And even if it's a, a lucky turnover, which, which are a lot of them, to be honest, whether it's a fumble or a tipped pass or things like that, but that is just such a momentum switch and a confidence booster for your defense um, that can really ride into the rest of the game and, and possibly into other games as well. So I think they're going to, you know, I think that they're in a good spot to maybe create some turnovers Um and I think they're just going to put a lot of pressure on their playmakers to make plays. The Alex Mendez, who's a safety, the uh, Ty Stringer on the defensive line, um, and and Jackson. Um, I always call him Jackson because that's the other one. Jack Cummings, 
in the linebacking core. Um, Got to make plays. And uh, hopefully they do this time around. I think they'll have the opportunity. I asked you last week about Evanston being a must-win game. And I'm basically going to ask you the same question where you got GBN on the schedule, GBS next week, which has looked very dominant. Niles West, a game you should be able to control, and then Maine South um, to finish out the season. Is this pretty much close to a, to a must-win game for Nutria if it wants to make the playoffs? I think they'll have the points, but um, is this pretty much a must-win game for Nutria for any playoff hopes? Yes, I think this is. I think now, last week we said, like, got to have it. Let's not call it a must-win, but this week it's a must-win because you got to get four because there are potential losses there uh, with Maine South and with GBS. And, you know, who, who knows who ends with Niles West if, you, if you're not playing well. But you should take care of Niles West and you should take care of GBN and that gets you to five and then hopefully you pull it off against one of the other two. But you need to get to that five to secure the qualifying, which means you need this one. Must win. All right. There you go, folks. That's a must win uh, from Joe. Let's move on over now to uh, Loyola hosting Marist on Saturday, where for much of it felt like for much of the early 2010s and maybe even late 2010s, it's kind of weird to say that phrase, I guess, out loud, but um, huh. it always seemed to be Loyola and uh, Maine South, obviously battling it out where Maine South was kind of a thorn and Loyola side. And it feels for like the last three or four years, Marist has been that team where um, either losing in the regular season or obviously a playoff oust, um, Maris has just always been there um, when Loyola has struggled or not really played up to their potential. And heading into this game, Maris is four and one. Um, they've uh, owned their only loss being against Mount Carmel, who lost to St. Ignatius surprisingly last week, which was an interesting, uh, interesting game to watch. But um, what do you expect against this game on Saturday where um, I think just the name Marist has this Loyola team more than prepared. And then I'm sure, like you mentioned earlier, a, a, a field goal win against Fenwick probably had the coaching staff uh, having the Ramblers work hard this past week at practice. Yeah, I would think so. And um, speaking of that field goal, I would have, if you would have came up to me before he kicked it and said like, you know, put money, m- make or miss, I would have said miss, not because of Mike Baker, but just because that win was so strong Coach actually called a timeout after Fenwick called a timeout. Coach Halsey called him like, what is he doing? It's because a gust of wind came through. So he wanted to, <laughs> to avoid it. And, uh, he, you know, Mike Baker surprised me. He kicked it through the crosswind and saved it by probably another 10, if not 15 yards. Um, it was a boot. Anyway, okay, so, um, yeah, Marist. Marist is a team that likes to put up points and they like to throw, I think they're probably averaging, you know, 30 plus points, 35 points a game. Um, they've beaten some good teams in Nazareth and, and uh, Marmion, uh, but they lost to the best team in Mount Carmel that they've faced. Um, so, yeah, I think the defense has to show up and they got to make some plays. I think last year in the sixth game, yeah, it was the sixth game, the last, uh, the spring season, they played Maris, gave up some early touchdowns big plays, but they also made some huge defensive plays specifically in the second half. They shut down Maris completely. So uh, can they do that again? I do think so. Um, I think that they have what it takes. I think that they'll get their rush going um, against the, against the pass heavy team. Um, and I, I think they'll make the moves. I think Maris, you know, it's kind of confusing, um, you know, not, you know, these games, the highlights aren't everywhere and the analysis isn't everywhere. So it's tough to get a read on a Maris team that lost to Mount Carmel 
which, okay, Mount Carmel's were the best, right? Then Mount Carmel gets smoked by St. Ignatius. <laughs> shut out. So obviously they're not one of the best. Still good. I'm not saying they're not, but not one of the best. If you lose 27 nothing to St. Ignatius, also a very good team, but completely blanked. So that win doesn't look so good anymore. So, or that loss. So, uh, you know, Marist, who, who else have they played? Nazareth, Nazareth is a nice win, but they're not that uh, team anymore. So um, Marist is still a bit of a question mark in my eyes. From what I saw last year, you know, Loyola's, uh, Loyola's got them outmatched. What do you need to see from this offense in this matchup against Marist? Obviously, Marist is going to have a, um, like pretty much every Chicago Catholic League team, a great offensive line and a great defensive line. So, I mean, what do you need to see offensively um, from Loyola, maybe specifically Sterney, um, just uh, heading into Saturday for them to have success? Well, the running game's important, and we talked about it in the first half, so I won't harp on it too much. But who's it going to be? Who's your lead back? Is Mikey Regan out? It was a knee injury. Um, is it a tweak or was it significant damage? Um, if he's out, then who's the guy who's going to step up, and can he – can he get in front of the sticks? Can he give them third and short, second and short, uh, give them the ability to open that playbook um, and, and create, you know, let Sterney take some shots um, as well as run the ball. So um, can he do that? Whoever that person is. Um, and um, so we're going to have to see that. And, and that's step one, I think, win that battle of the trenches and get some positive yards in, in you know, minimal um, chunks and then let Sterney go to work um, with that advantage because um, I think Sterney's going to be able to, to do so. I don't know if they'll have Roger Simon back, but I know he's coming back soon. Well, at least, you know, we haven't actually checked up, but um, at the beginning of the year, Coach said he should be back sometime in October. So maybe not this week, but next week, that's their preseason lead receiver. Uh, but now Danny Collins has got nearly all the catches for Loyola um, from the receiving core. Um, can we get the tight ends involved? a little more. Um, they didn't go to Jack Parker much. He played most of the game um, against Fenwick. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're just going to need to see from that offense um, controlling the ball um, throughout. Defensively, are you concerned at all? I mean, I, you mentioned Maris is able to score the ball, um, but we've seen the Loyola defense respond last week with some, with some key interceptions and um, the offense wasn't able to obviously score on those. But um, what, what do you think defensively heading into this matchup? Yeah, I think um, I think there's room for concern. Maris is a really talented offensive ball club, so um, I think they're going to put the pressure on. And can you make big plays when they take chances? Because um, they're going to, and you're going to have to make those big plays. Um, I think they have the personnel to do it. It's just you know no letdowns. And in the second half against Benwick, they had letdowns. Um, you just can't have those against uh, these conference opponents. And you know when when things are on the line here, so. Um, I'm concerned, but I think they can do it. You know, we saw, we mentioned the three interceptions from last week. Two of them were from a backup quarterback who came in, poor guy came in and uh, um, Loyola picked on him literally um, with a couple in a row. Um, but also James Cruz dropped another pick he had for a pretty clear pick six um, in and out of his hands. So I think Loyola is figuring things out here um, on the defensive end with some, uh, with a lot of their playmakers, but I would like to see a little bit more of a pass rush um, from Brooks Barr specifically, as well as Mike Williams in the middle. And uh, really kind of, if you're not getting sacks on the pressure on the quarterback or sacks on the quarterback, pressure on the quarterback to force mistakes. 
Let's get some predictions out of you. What do you see happening on homecoming night for Nutria against GBM? Hmm. I think they survive. I don't think it's going to be pretty, though. Um, I think uh, GBN might might take a lot of time off the clock on them and kind of really put some pressure on them to make plays. And I think uh, their offense does step up, though, again, and make those plays, and maybe defense makes a stop or two that is very important. So I'm, I'm going to go a little, little more lower scoring than I normally do and go something like um, pretty close. Let's say Let's say 24-21. Interesting. I actually have a 28 to 10 win for uh, Nutria. I think they'll be able to score. And I think because of that, um, I think GB, based on seeing GBN live in person, I think the Nutria defense maybe um, sees, lets them score a little bit. But um, I think GBN might get in its own way a little bit. So I think I'll have a 28 to 10 win uh, for Nutria on homecoming night. What do you have, Loyola versus Marist Saturday at Womet? I think this will be a fun one. Um... I think we're going to see some scoring, but not to the uh, not to the level of the brother Rice game. Um, I still think those two teams are two of the best, and plus, uh, we're without Maldonado here. But uh, I do expect scoring and running and big plays. So um, I'm thinking something like uh, I th- I think Loyola fixes those goal line problems and puts up 30 again. So I will say 34 to 20. All right. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to see out of the offense. I know, I know I shouldn't be doubting them or anything like that, but when you lose your two backs like that, and I know obviously the offensive line is strong, I just think um, when you're on your third stringer, it can be tough. But because of that, I think I'm going to do 21 to 17. I think uh, they'll put up 21 points. They'll have enough to win. Maybe the defense even returns something for an, uh, a touchdown or something like that. But um, I think we'll have a 21 to 17 win where – uh, Loyola squeaks by as it tries to uh, regroup offensively, but it should be a fun matchup as it always is on Saturday between these two conference teams. Um, and it should be a lot of fun to see what happens this upcoming weekend with both football. And um, obviously, like we talked about some golf regionals happening as well as we end the end, whereas we reach toward the end of the season for most of our sports postseason will be starting in a couple weeks. So Make sure you guys are keeping up with us at therecordnorthshore.org. Be sure to follow us on all our social media accounts. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast anywhere that they're available. Make sure a nice uh, little review, a uh, little comment, spread the word while you're at those games as well. Anything is anything that you guys can do to spread the word is greatly appreciated. So for Joe, thanks so much for joining us this week. And we will talk to you guys down the road. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Varsity, a product of the record NorthShore.org, your nonprofit local newsroom. The Varsity is presented by the Illinois Bone and Joint Institute with more than 150 fellowship trained physicians in every orthopedic specialty and dozens of locations across Chicagoland and the suburbs. IBJI is your choice for patient-focused orthopedic care. To find the nearest location, visit IBJI.com.